there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in healthcare, maybe even in insurance, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is an associate product marketing manager at Oscar Health, a tech startup in health insurance that is on a mission to reinvent that industry. But before I introduce you to Caroline Muja, I want to make sure that you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you an exclusive peek into the episode's and the professionals we're going to be featuring that week. And it is so easy to do. You just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time4coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest, is Caroline Muja, an Associate Product Marketing Manager at Oscar Health. Oscar Health was founded in 2012 and has been focused on a single mission, to be a health insurance company centered around the patient, engaging members and guiding them to the right care. And along the way, a team of about 1,200 talented, experienced, and mission-driven individuals from the fields of technology, healthcare, politics, design, and data have come together in service of the Oscar mission. Prior to joining Oscar in the summer of 2019, Caroline was an editorial assistant at MindBodyGreen, a leading independent media brand dedicated wellness. Caroline, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I hope you're not about to get taken off in an ambulance. (laughs) (laughs) That is the New York City streets for you. I am caffeinated and ready to go and I'm not going in ambulance. So no worries. I'm here with you guys. Okay. Well, at least we know you would have very good health insurance. (laughs) That's true. That is true. (laughs) I know we're doing this interview over the weekend. It is, I guess, late Sunday afternoon. Mm -hmm. But I'm actually curious, Caroline, does Oscar offer decent coffee in your office? We do. We have some great cold brew. We have nitro on tap. And we also have a great tea selection, some oat milk. So we definitely have the full barista selection at Oscar. So we're pretty lucky. You have nitro on tap? We do, yes. Oh my God. Well, we are Mm -hmm. really going to get into (laughs) what all the perks of Oscar in a couple of minutes here. And by the way, for our listeners, if they're interested in learning more about how they can break into this super cool health insurance industry, not your mother's or your grandmother's insurance industry, they should check out show notes for this episode to see if the Espresso Shots interview that I did with Caroline has already dropped. So I know you've only been on the new job at Oscar for around five months or so, but can you help us better understand what an associate product marketing manager, quite a mouthful, at Oscar does and 
what some of your responsibilities are. Yeah. So a big part of my responsibilities are figuring out compelling ways to engage with our members. So we have a few different products. We have a telemedicine platform. We have a search tool. We have our concierge team. All of these different offerings for our members are key ways that they are going to engage with us and improve their healthcare experience. A big part of my role is figuring out creative ways to speak to our consumers. So we have some members who are older. We have some members who are healthier, some members who are dealing with some illnesses. Whatever bucket that you fall into, we are looking to help you in a way that speaks to where you are on your healthcare journey. So that means that storytelling is a big part of my job through writing, through images, through copy. I'm finding a way to speak to where you are at your life stage. This includes a lot of creativity. So being able to innovate on the spot and think about different ways that we can improve our members' experience is really, really, really important. A big part of my job is also data analysis. Oscar is a super data-driven company. So we're always looking at the numbers and figuring out who we're speaking to, how many people we're speaking to, and looking at the best ways to communicate with our members. The data is always the best place to start. It's not always the easiest place to start, but looking at the data sort of drives our solutions. In the day-to-day, it's kind of changing a lot because we're in open enrollment right now. It's a really busy time. One day, I may be writing some emails for our lovely members. Some days, I'm digging in the data, looking at how a campaign did. Some days, I'm projecting a few months down the line, looking at the strategy for engaging a new member. Whatever it may be, it's usually member-focused. Got it. Wow. So in talking about communicating with your members and the storytelling that's involved in that. You mentioned emails. Are there Mm -hmm. other platforms, namely social media platforms, that you're also communicating on, let's say, more with your younger demo? So we have a social media team at Oscar who is communicating with our members through Instagram, through Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. So you can definitely get a sense of a little bit of what's going on at at Oscar at the hub and you can learn about Oscar through those channels. It's also a great place for our members to ask questions. You know, if they have an issue, bring it up there. I'm not focused as much on the social media aspect. I'm communicating a lot to our members through email, writing secure messages where our members can speak to our concierge team through their online accounts. So really focusing on the web account and the app. We also have an Oscar app that our members can download. And that's a great way for us to communicate with them. Obviously, a very tech-driven way to communicate. So those are just some of the ways that members can reach us. You mentioned in the Espresso Shots episode that you, on occasion, are having to do coding. Mm -hmm. Did you study coding In college, did you take any classes in it or are you having to learn this on the job? And I guess the same goes for the 
data analysis piece. Mm. Is that something that you had learned at Middlebury College where you went to school or did you have to take classes, whether at General Assembly or some of these other platforms that exist out there? Or have you been learning it on the job? That's a great question. So at Middlebury, I did not do any coding. I was not in coding classes. The first time I ever saw SQL, which is the main coding language that I've been using at my job, was at my internship at Wayfair my junior year. So that was where I first saw SQL. It was a small part of my internship, though, and I definitely was nowhere close to mastering it. But it was helpful to kind of get my feet wet with SQL. And then when I got to Oscar, I realized that it was going to be a significant part of my job. It's a super helpful language, especially if you're at a company that has tons of data to sift through. It is really the primary way to pull out what you need. So I'm learning it on the job. I recently took a SQL bootcamp with General Assembly, which was a six-hour course. And that was really helpful for me to kind of just focus on that for a day and understand the basics of the language. That was really helpful. And I'm looking forward to taking the intermediate course with General Assembly as well. In terms of data analysis, my time at Middlebury, I did spend a significant amount of time with data, but it was more in terms of looking at psychological studies. There was always data involved, but it was never these massive data sets that I'm working with now. So that's also been a skill that I am definitely learning on the job. There was a little bit of that at Wayfair as well. So I was able to have insight into what a data-driven role would look like. But a lot of what I'm learning is it's on the job. You know, as we talked about before, taking initiative and just reaching out to someone who's maybe on the data team or reaching out to an engineer and asking for help or getting involved in a course, seeing if your company would help pay for a course for you or finding an internship or maybe class in your local area. All of those things can be really helpful to get you started. Gotcha. So is Oscar paying for you to take these classes on General Assembly or is this coming out of your own pocket? My team actually did fund for me to take this class, which was super awesome. So yeah, maybe your school has something or even the job that you interned at or your job right now. You never know. Yeah, it's worth asking for sure. Would you say, Caroline, that for our listeners who think they may want to go into marketing, whether at an insurance company like Oscar or another industry, that having a data analytics coding background, even if it's just a class or two, should be a prerequisite? It's hard to say because, you know, health insurance companies can be vastly different. Some healthcare companies may be less attuned to the tech space or less data-driven. But I would say if you're looking to go into a healthcare tech company, it would be very helpful to have a data analysis experience. And I think in a world that's becoming increasingly data-driven and obviously coding has become a really hot job because there's a huge need for it. The world is in data. We're seeing that there's tons of data everywhere and all of these sort of you know, whether it's Uber or Snapchat, like all these really techie companies are using data to drive their results. So I would say, yeah, if you're looking to go into that space, 
having data background would definitely be helpful. And I think in terms of the coding, there's a chance you can learn it on the job, but it doesn't hurt to get some experience in the coding beforehand, especially if you want to hit the ground running. And I think it just can't hurt whatever field you're in to have a little bit of that coding background as well. Great. So why do you have to have the coding as part of your job as someone who's in marketing, an associate product marketing manager, what is it that you're looking at in the data to help inform the storytelling that you're doing? I assume that's why. Yeah. So a lot of the data that I'm looking at in the day-to-day is looking at trends. What are our members responding well to? What are they excited about? What are they enjoying about Oscar? Because If we're seeing that a bunch of members are enjoying an email that we sent out and they're clicking further and they want to learn more about our preventative health benefits, for example, or they're really interested in our mental health benefits, these are key data points that we want to know so we can better improve their experience with Oscar. I would say that the data is just a way to understand, you know, without talking to our thousands of members one-on-one, we can't really know what they're enjoying or what they're not so interested in. One way that I use data is to analyze campaigns that we send out to members. So an example of that is if we're telling members about our preventative health benefits through emails, through our secure message platform, through the app, And if we see in the data that our members are really responding well to a certain benefit or a perk or an educational aspect of health insurance, that's an indication to us that they want to learn more about that. And that's something that we can invest more time and resources in. So the data is a great way to understand what our consumers, our members are really interested in. It's just a great pulse on what they want to learn more about. Gotcha. So is your remit, I guess, to focus on your existing members who are in the concierge part of Oscar? Or do you also do your marketing and different campaigns among members who have non-concierge services? So all of our members have access to a concierge team. If you are an Oscar member, you are given a concierge team. It can be about four or five people that are available at your service. And you can talk to them over the app or the web. You can also call in. And it's a really helpful service because they are able to help you if you get a claim that you don't understand, if you want to know if the doctor is in network, out of network. It's just a really helpful way to have sort of a sounding board and have someone to guide you. A lot of the campaigns that we work on can go through concierge. So the concierge teams may discuss mental health benefits with members or preventative health benefits with certain members. And that may have funneled down from the marketing team as it was a need. So there's a lot of communication between my team and the concierge teams. We really work together on these campaigns. The campaigns are a multi-channel approach. Members may hear about certain benefits through multiple channels and concierge being one of them. Okay. And how 
does your supervisor or his or her supervisor measure success? What does a successful marketing campaign within Oscar look like? Yeah, there's a lot of different metrics that we look at. I would say that success can mean something different for every campaign. A lot of times we're looking at making the member experience with health insurance a little less complicated. That's a big focus. So if we're able to say, okay, we were hoping with this campaign to make sure our members understood what they signed up for so they can understand what their plan is. Did we notice that members were calling in less confused about their plan? Did the email or the secure message lower the amount of confusion about their deductible or their premium? So it's really about, depending on what the goal of the campaign was, looking at if the members really had greater clarity on their plan or potentially it was about members downloading the app or creating an account. So any way that they took action that was going to further their understanding of their health insurance plan with us or how they can engage with us, often those are our metrics of success. Okay. Thanks so much. From what I could tell reading about Oscar on your company website, Caroline, and reading some of the blog posts that are there, it's almost as if you could have taken out the word healthcare and said Google or Facebook. Mm-hmm. And you would find a similar vibe around the office to those more established Silicon Valley tech companies. Is that an accurate takeaway? Yeah, I would say we're hearing a lot about the culture and the vibe of tech companies. If you're on those job pages, you'll see that companies are talking about the ping pong tables and the cold brew and some of those like parks around the office. I would say, yeah, Oscar definitely focuses a lot on the culture. We're really big on the people in our company, like our people are our greatest asset. And I think that that's a huge like mantra of, you know, the Googles and the Facebooks of the world is people are the biggest asset and how can we make people feel comfortable at work? I would say that Oscar definitely focuses on at least the people side of things, making sure that employees feel at home at work and that work is a place that you want to be. Our office environment, the way it was built, the way that we structure our kitchen to our couches and the whole office really fosters people's creativity. It fosters collaboration. It sets forth a people first attitude, which I think a lot of these larger tech companies that we hear about also have as well. Thanks. I'm curious, how did you find this job? Are there other kind of tech startup health insurance companies out there? Did you get this through word of mouth or some other way? So a few years ago, I was put in contact with someone at Oscar Health when I was way back looking for an internship, I think I was networking and someone knew someone who knew someone and I was able to get in contact with someone who was working at Oscar. And at the time, I was really interested in internship and just had explained that I was really interested in health and wellness 
And at the time, Oscar was a little bit on the smaller side, and they've obviously grown since then. So an internship wasn't in the cards, but it had always been on my list on my phone of companies to keep an eye out for. One thing that I do, I keep running notes of companies that I think are really interesting and growing. Always keep the names of the contacts that I had there as well. When I was back in the job search, I remembered, I said, oh my gosh, I got to check back in on Oscar Health. It always just kind of was in the back of my mind. That's a really cool idea. And that's a really cool blend of technology and healthcare. When I found myself looking again, I reached back out to my contact and discussed that you know I was back in the job search and I was really interested in a certain role that I had seen just on their career page. Through that conversation, I applied and the interview process kind of took off from there. But the moral there is whoever you meet in the field that you're interested in, or whether it's just someone who has a really helpful outlook on the job search or could be a mentor to you, definitely keep their contact, keep what they said close. You never know when someone is going to come back into your life. And this was a great example of that. So it was really just kind of revisiting passion. It probably didn't hurt that a few years before I had also reached out even if it feels like it's a far reach for you right now, reach out to that company you're interested in, show that you're interested, start applying, start getting coffees with people that are in the field or maybe at the company. And I think just showing interest early is really helpful. A hundred percent, Caroline. That is amazing advice. The only thing that I might add to that is on your excellent suggestion that they should try to grab coffee, keep in touch, think about how you might be able to provide value to them, especially in the case of a company like Oscar, which is a tech startup, I'm sure is looking at the young demographic as potential customers when you age out of your parents' health insurance plans. You could be reading the blogs You could be looking at the website or maybe even just thinking about ways that you might, if you were there, offer some suggestions and send an email to that person who is a contact saying, hey, I happened to be on the website the other day and noticed this. I really like X. I'm actually thinking Y might not land as well if you're trying to reach people in their late 20s or whatever the case may be. But Thinking about how you can help them also is a good thing to keep in the back of your mind. I completely agree with that. Yeah, I think that's super helpful. So we're going to be getting into your time as an undergrad, Caroline, which was actually Mm -hmm. very recent. You only graduated in 2018. Mm -hmm. But first, I would love to know about your last job, which Mm -hmm. was actually the first job you had after you graduated. You worked at a media company called Mind Body Green. It's been around now for about 10 years. It is an independent media brand dedicated to wellness. And you were an editorial assistant there. And I know that one of the things you did there was to do an awful lot of writing, a lot Mm. of stories, because that's how I found you. 
I actually mm-hmm. <laughs> subscribed to Mind Body Green and I was reading some of the posts and happened to look to see who wrote it. And I clicked on your bio and saw that you and I had graduated from the same college and thought, <laughs> wow, that's so cool. Another Middlebury grad. So I reached out to you. But take us into what it was like for you to have to meet a quota. And you had a quota of 48 articles a month. What was that about? And what was it like to be churning out, I guess, what was in effect two to three articles a day or 10 to 12 articles a week? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'd known about Mind Body Green for a long time and had always been an avid reader of the site and was super interested in wellness and developed a passion for writing in college as well. So when I moved to New York, it was a huge focus of mine kind of getting in the door there. And I actually started with an internship there and then was offered a full-time position after a few weeks. Sort of unexpected. I wasn't sure if it was going to turn into something full-time, but was very happy that it did. It was an incredible experience to be writing as much as I was, as you said kind of felt like I was a journalist at times, like a reporter almost. A lot of what I was writing was wellness news. So if a new study came out, say at 7am that morning, I wanted to get on top of that so we could get it out on the site before a lot of other media outlets and make sure that we had our own take on it. So a lot of what I was doing was fast writing at times and kind of digging into the nugget What do our wellness lovers want to hear about? And how can I craft that into a piece in a short amount of time? There was a lot of pressure at times, especially with the news pieces, because they were timely. With any piece of news, if you're late to the news, it's likely that your readers have already found it somewhere else. There were some high pressure situations where I was sort of writing furiously, but there was a really fun sort of adrenaline to the job at times because I had always been sort of interested in news and being at the cutting edge of a study or what was breaking news. And for me, wellness was a passion. So if that breaking news was about the newest way to reduce inflammation, (laughs) that was exciting to me. It was really cool to be sort of the front line of wellness news and wellness in itself. I think At first, it was really hard to be writing that much because I was used to being in school where you had weeks to write a paper or even maybe a month. So being on a short time frame for articles, sometimes I was working with a contributor or, you know, someone who I was interviewing, you know, being able to get that on the screen and get that up and running was intense sometimes. But it also taught me to distill the most important information out of a piece. So yes, there's this study that's 25 pages with all these different results. But what's the most important nugget that people can take away? That was something that was super valuable that I learned at that company. And in my role was just distilling down the information to the most important nugget that your reader will take away. Yeah, absolutely. I want to pick up on what you said at the very beginning of your answer there, Caroline, and you said that you started out this position as an internship. Was it unpaid or paid? 
it was paid. Okay. So there was no expectation or maybe very little expectation that it would turn into a full-time gig. Is that right? That is right. Yes. I reached out to them and they were only able to offer an internship at that time because they didn't know if they would have the space for a full-time position. At that point, I was a little bit hesitant because I was so gung-ho about I want a full-time job and all of the salary and everything. But there was something that was pulling me to take a risk. It was a risk and it was, in a sense, delaying my job search. It felt that way at the time, but it was ultimately very rewarding. And I think a great example that the most unexpected things can turn into what you were looking for. I'm really happy that I took that risk. I encourage listeners to be open to those internships or contract positions because you never know when you may be the right fit. And it may just take that company knowing you and seeing your skills to say, hey, that's the person that I want on this job. Absolutely. And I actually had a similar situation when I was pretty early in my own career. I had moved into journalism and my first job was working for a member station of National Public Radio in Columbia, South Carolina. I was a reporter there and was earning such a small amount of money I could barely get by. And I ended up kind of talking my way into getting a free ticket on Amtrak to do a story about travel up the Eastern Corridor. And I used that story to apply for a vacation relief position at one of the all news radio stations in Washington, D.C., where I am from originally. And there was no expectation that it would turn into a full-time position. In fact, the person whose position I was filling in for was out on maternity leave. So she was definitely going to be coming back in three months, but it turned into a full-time gig. And wow. so sometimes you've got to roll the dice. And I ended up working there for two years. So totally get that. By the way, I also want our listeners to know that I had the pleasure of interviewing the founder and CEO of Mind Body Green in T4C episode 89, Jason Wachob. So definitely, if you're interested in learning more about Mind Body Green, check out that episode. So Caroline, I want to flash back very quickly to your time as an undergrad at Middlebury College in Vermont. You majored in environmental studies with a concentration in psychology. Did you have any idea what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated? I did not. I knew that I was passionate about health and wellness, and I was pretty confident that I wanted to be in a mission-driven role and do something that was supporting the greater good. So I knew that much, but I did not know how this major was going to link to a job. There was definitely no job description out there that said, environmental studies and psychology associate, <laughs> if that's a thing. There was nothing that had a direct line. I think for a while, that was a little paralyzing because I didn't know where to go. I didn't know where to begin, but I knew that I wanted to help other people. That's where I kind of began digging around job sites and talking to 
my parents' friends and talking to mid-grads about their jobs, asking them, what's the day-to-day like? Do you feel like you're making a difference in your job? And just through these conversations, I was able to kind of narrow down what types of companies I was interested in. I didn't know exactly how my major was going to link to a job. But what my major did do was it highlighted the importance of social mission to me. It highlighted the importance of a psychological well-being and sort of all of these threads through psychology and through the environment brought to the forefront that I wanted to make a difference in the world. That kind of gave me the freedom to look at different industries. I didn't feel the need to stay in wellness per se or environmental studies. It was sort of just a freedom to explore social good in a way. And that can take on many different meanings. I've learned in my jobs so far, even in the most unexpected ways, we can all find social good and social mission and purpose in our jobs. I would say that's how my major sort of influenced my search. Thanks. That is really interesting to hear. And it actually confirms a lot of what I've seen among many other professionals who at the time, can't really see how to disaggregate their major in a way that makes sense in a particular career track. But I think that if you follow your interests and the way that you boiled it down, Caroline, was so sophisticated, to be perfectly frank. I mean, to see that there were those threads of social mission being important to you and psychological well-being. And trusting yourself enough, and we know that your dad, Will, gave you awesome advice to be patient and not put so much pressure on yourself to say that you would maybe go into a safer career because it would be easier to lock down. It might not necessarily be one that you would feel kind of your heart being pulled towards, but maybe more your pocketbook. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. So I try to ask all time for coffee guests the following two questions. The first one is, if you could share a time for us, Caroline, in your professional life when you struggled, recognizing that you've only been sort of post-college work life since October of 2018, but nonetheless, you've had internships and other experiences in the quote unquote real world. Most importantly, how you persevered during that struggle and maybe a lesson that you took away from it. Yeah, there's so many, I feel like, challenges that I faced in this job process and being in two full time positions. One of the most challenging times was probably actually before I got my first job. When I was in the job search initially, I was so all over the place with applying for jobs and my informational interviews and was getting those rejections and getting those like kind of glimpses of hope that I would land the job. It was a time where I needed to dig deep and really focus on my worth and knowing that it would pan out, kind of just having this 
bigger picture that things would fall into place because I was getting so down sometimes about the rejections or oh, that was the perfect job and that one would have been perfect. And if I only had that job, that would have made me happy and fulfilled. And I think you can get into such a rut about like the perfect job and the perfect scenario. Definitely found myself in that sometimes it led to comparing myself to my friends and other people in my life. I think what brought me out of it was staying close to my values and the things that I wanted out of life. And I knew that I wanted to be in a mission-driven company, as I've mentioned. I knew I wanted a work-life balance. I didn't want to settle. And I think at times it was easy to want to settle and want to just sort of maybe throw up my hands and take a break or take whatever was offered. But having that inner compass that was really strong throughout that process. And even the second time around when I was job searching after Mind Body Green, having an inner compass and an intuition that's guiding you to the right thing. And whether that's being in nature or meditating or finding time to connect to who you are and how that relates to what you're looking for was really helpful for me because it's so easy to get lost in the job boards and the what you think you should be doing and what other people think you should be doing. During those times of transition where I was in between jobs or looking, it was really helpful for me to continue to come back to what do I value? What's important to me? What do I want my life to look like, my day-to-day? And is this opportunity potentially going to be that or at least lead me there. Wow. (laughs) I am just blown away by the wisdom that you have at such a young age. I am truly kind of gobsmacked. (laughs) Thank you. It's really incredible and clearly a testament to your parents and the young woman that you are, because honestly, I know people twice your age who still don't have that ability to bring that perspective into their life, Caroline. And I'm curious, what is your feeling now that you've had two jobs post-college about the idea of a perfect job? Do you think it exists? Mm -hmm. I do not think it exists because the perfect job is sort of this light at the end of the tunnel that I think people pursue. And I know I was sort of pursuing that at a time period. But I think that it's this idea that if you have the right job, that everything else will fall into place. Being in post-grad life, you realize that there is no perfect scenario. There is no perfect job because every day is different. There's different challenges that you face personally, financially, emotionally, professionally. And I think it all blends into the larger picture. So even if you have what you think is the perfect job, I think that there's going to be other aspects of your life that challenge you. If you think you have a perfect job, it may end up disappointing you if it doesn't end up panning out or months down the line, it's not what you thought. For me, I kind of think about it as maybe there are times where things feel perfect or they feel this is going really well or this part of my job is flourishing. 
and just enjoying those times that are really going well. And then having perspective when things are challenging and knowing, okay, weeks ago, this was going well. So I think it's about shifting your perspective. I do think perfect job is a little bit of a dangerous path to go down because you'll end up disappointed if you think that there's a perfect job because there's so many aspects to a job. A company is a living thing in itself. It's changing and a lot's out of your control. So waiting for something to be perfect isn't really realistic. I could not agree more. And I hope that our young listeners take comfort from that. This isn't to burst any bubbles, but rather, I think it's the exact opposite. I think that you should feel really empowered by the fact that there is no perfect job. There are many, many jobs out there that could be wonderful for you. So don't be discouraged when you apply for different positions and they go to someone else. Mm. There will be another opportunity that comes around the corner, maybe when you least expect it. Maybe it's because you happen to start chatting with somebody online at the grocery store and they have a daughter or son that happens to work at a particular company that you've never heard of. And they say, oh my gosh, I'll give you his or her phone number. Life is so random. And that is the pixie dust that you cannot predict when it's going to be sprinkled over your life. And it happens at all stages, my friends. So Caroline, thank you so much. I have one final question for you. And that is, if you could go back to Middlebury and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom that you have now, what advice would you give yourself? Hmm. That's a good question. I would give myself the advice to stay true to who you are. I think that if you're able to stay true to the values that you hold close to you, that little thing inside you that pushes you towards something. Sometimes there's a feeling or a thought like, hey, that seems really cool. Or I've always wanted to try that. Like those little pushes actually are really important to listen to. So I would have told myself to stay true to who I am and listen to those little things that are pushing me towards an opportunity or an interest because they really are telling you something about the larger picture. What a wonderful way to end. I want to thank you so much, Caroline, for taking the time to have coffee with me this Sunday evening now <laughs> with me and the T4C community. I really, really mean it. You are such a wise young woman and clearly wise well beyond your years. And I think if you continue to just listen to that voice, you're going to continue to go on to do great things. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great experience. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. 
I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much. 